Well, hello, everyone. Hi, I'm Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. It is so cool to be here in Avon with all of you, and usually I'm in West Bridgewater, um, and uh, this weekend they'll be joining us via video, um, which I, I just love the fact that as one church family that exists in three towns and really scattered all over the South Shore, we can come together at times like this. Um, I just want to give you guys a quick update before we jump into the teaching um, and let you guys know what God is doing uh, through the West Bridgewater location and how he is at work. It is so, so exciting to see. Uh, Our grand opening was just over a year ago, um, and God has just continued to grow um, what is happening there. We had our largest Sunday ever just this past Sunday. We had 437 people at Grace Church in West Bridgewater. Isn't that awesome? We are so excited about it. And listen, to Avon location here, I just, I want to thank you because it's because of your prayers and your generosity and your compassion and your help. Um, that, that God is at work in that community in that way. Um, I love um, just seeing more and more stories of life change. One of the cool things that we have been able to do at our location is uh, open it during the week as a nonprofit coffee shop called The Bridge. Have you guys heard of that? A, few of you, a bunch of you guys have come by. Um, it's open Monday through Saturday, um, and it's a nonprofit, and all of our proceeds go to Mana Worldwide, um, which we partner with for trips like Guatemala. Um, so if you ever want to come in and you're meeting a friend, um, come down there. It's, it's literally in the lobby of Grace Church West Bridgewater. Um, and it's been cool because more and more, uh, it, it started out where it was mostly Grace Church people coming in, and now it's probably about 70% random people from the community that do not go to Grace Church, that are walking in, getting a cup of coffee, and working and studying and, and hanging out, BSU students. Um, we, had a, uh, we had an office trivia night on Friday night, um, hosted by the worship director here, Joe, and the, the media director, Matt. So if you, just a few minutes ago, if you were standing here and you were thinking, that Joe guy is just not talented at all, you should have been at the office trivia night, because he's got a little bit of talent, and it came out when he was hosting it. It was so much fun. It was a packed room of people I'd never seen in my life. Um, so I, I, I am just very, very excited to be here with you. Um, whether you realize it or not, um, there's a lot of collaboration that takes place in our teachings every week. Um, what happens here happens in West Bridgewater and happens in Braintree. Um, Pastor Sean and I um, meet every week to plan out our teachings together, or if Ken is preaching, or if Taylor's preaching, we plan it out together, and then they steal all of my good ideas, and they act like it's their own, and then you quote them later, and you're like, man, this guy's really smart, that's okay, um, but uh, in all seriousness, it's really the other way around, um, just collaboration allows us to be able to teach more effectively. Um, I have been watching a lot of that uh, TV show, The... I should know the name now, the Great Great British Baking Show. Anybody ever watched that before? Okay, a few of us have. Uh, it's guaranteed that show um, will make you happier and fatter at the same time. Um, because it's like there's no conflict in the show. It's just 10 people baking in a tent in the middle of England, and they're just happy all the time. Even when they go home, they're just happy. It's amazing. I'm like, is this what England is really like? I want to go. But then you're like eating these things that you've never, you didn't even know existed. And you're like, well, now we have to bake cookies for no reason. I'm not even hungry, but now I am. Like, I'm not a good baker. I can't even say the word. Um, I I gave up on that when I was a kid. Um, I tried once with my brother together to make butterscotch pudding. And um, we failed uh, because we were like reading the recipe and it said to put like a quarter teaspoon of salt, but I didn't know what TSP meant, and I was like, my brother was like, what is TSP? I said, it's cups. 
And he said, well, no, it's not. I said, it's just spelled differently. I think that's what it means. So we put a fourth, a cup of salt in. And um, some of you, (laughs) wow, you are really dramatic for pudding you didn't even know existed. (laughs) What happens when you put too much salt in? That's all you taste, right? Like it affects the entire flavor. Some of you might know from experience. So uh, we put it in. We didn't realize it until after the fact. And then we were so excited. And then we took that first spoonful and it was just horrible, right? Like that's all you taste. That's the only flavor that comes through. Because salt is, is like this powerful ingredient that even if you put everything else in the recipe correct, salt can overpower it and can affect the entire flavor, right? That's how our faith should be in all of our relationships. Faith should be the most powerful ingredient that affects every relationship, the flavor of every relationship in your life. And as we close out this series, Relationship Status, we've been talking about the different relationships in your life and how really everything in life comes down to relationships, right? Like your circumstances are almost secondary to the people that you share the circumstances with. Your joy and your contentment in life is more about the people that are there for you to help walk through it with you. And so we wanted to dedicate a few weeks by looking at these relationships that we have and how we can develop healthy relationships because we believe that that is God's intention. And so as we close out this series, what I want you to ask yourself is how is your faith, how is your relationship with God having an impact changing the flavor of the other relationships in your life? Like, is your marriage being affected because of your faith? Is your relationship with your family, has it had any effect or change because of your faith? Are your friendships being changed? Are you a different friend now than before you started to follow Jesus? Because that's God's intention. And so I thought, let's step back from this conversation. And almost like an overview, I call this balcony time, where you're, not, you're kind of looking and examining your whole life from above and ask yourself, is your faith having an effect on the people around you? Because if it's not, if your marriage looks exactly as it would if you weren't following Christ, then you might not be as close to God as you think you are. Because that should be the outcome of our relationship with God. And so just like if you were creating like a Facebook status with God, right? You know the relationship statuses. Some of you aren't on Facebook or some of you maybe haven't updated your relationship status in years because you've been married for a while or whatever. But like there's all these different designations. And you could be single, you can be in a relationship, you can be married, you can be divorced, separated, you can be complicated. Which, by the way, if you're complicated, I don't know why you'd put that for the world to see, but some people just, I just want to let you know we're going through a hard time, that I just put that out there, right? But when you think of your relationship with God, what word would you use? Some of you would very honestly say single. Like, you wouldn't say that you're in a relationship with God. You're saying, maybe you're exploring, maybe you have a lot of questions, and maybe you're here and you're, you're examining it, but you wouldn't say that you're very close to God. You don't necessarily have anger towards God, but maybe you do. But you wouldn't say that you're married. You wouldn't say that you're in a committed uh, relationship with him. Some of you would say you're in a relationship, but you'd honestly say maybe you're not all in yet. And you know that there's areas of your life that you're, you're, you're taking steps, but you know people in your life who are truly sold out to God and you're not quite there yet. Some of you, you might say you're separated or you're divorced. And when you think of your relationship with God, 
you actually think more about the past than the present. And you think about some past pain and some unresolve, something that may have been said to you or not said to you, something that a church did or, or didn't do for you. And so when you think of your relationship with God, you remember a time when you felt closer to him than you do now. Some of you would say you're married, you're all in on this thing, and you're here, and you want to grow deeper, and you want to do everything you can to grow closer. But even then, ask yourself, in what way are the relationships around you being affected by your relationship with God? Because Jesus, he says this, John 13, 34, just love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. The way we love. That the way we determine our relationship status with God, it's not about church attendance. It's not about how much scripture we know. It's how we love. Like to, that, that, He's saying that's the, that's the primary indicator. Is How are the relationships and the people around you Like, how are they being affected because of this God thing in your life, because of your faith? Because if there's really, if they're just separate, that's not God's intention. And that's why I've been so excited to have this conversation over the past few weeks, because I think God has an awful lot to say about our relationships, about the people in our lives. And I think his intention is that we have healthy marriages, and that we have healthy families, and that we have healthy friendships. And there's only so much we can do as an individual, but we can do our part. So he says, love each other. So what kinds of effects should a healthy relationship with God have? What, what does that actually look like? Because I think for some of us, like when we think of relationships in our lives, we might quickly go to anger. And there might be one relationship that overshadows all the rest, and that's the thing that keeps us up at night. Maybe we're struggling to forgive someone, someone that might not ever ask for forgiveness. Maybe we're quick to anger with our kids or with our spouse or with our friends. Maybe we feel like we're on an island and the idea of of talking about friendships and relationships, like we don't want to talk about it because it's, it's a hurtful, lonely subject for us. So let's instead ask ourselves, what, what does that look like for us? If I'm truly following Christ in the way that he wants me to, how should it affect what should it look like? What should be the remnants of that? I want to look at a passage in 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, where it's almost a display for us of what this looks like in a practical sense. 1 John chapter 4, verse 14. It says this, Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them and they live in God. John's saying that like you have a completely new life. If you have turned from your sin, from your disobedience to God and your selfishness towards others to follow God, then it's not just a Sunday thing. It's not just a Saturday thing. It's not just a weekend thing. This changes everything in your life. You have a completely new life. Verse 16, we know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in him, all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. 
In other words, what he's saying is, is the closer that we get to God's love, the closer that we get to God in our relationship with him, the better we become at showing it. The closer we get to God, the better we become at showing it because God is love. So his followers should be too. Like that's the manifestation of our lives. If I say I'm following Christ and Christ says he is love, then my life should be display of his love. Like how can I be following someone who in the very principle of who he is love, I'm saying I'm committed to him, but that's not lived out in my life. So it's saying the closer we get, the better we become at living that out and showing that to the people around it. The more that I understand the love of Christ, the more it should be evident in my life. The more people should start describing me with the same qualities the Bible describes the love of Christ. So a few weeks ago, there was a power outage. Who had a power outage a few weeks ago for the big storm? It was like on a Friday night. A bunch of us did. Uh, my family did. And we, we, we don't have a backup generator. Who has a backup generator? And like the power outage comes, no big deal. A few of us do. I do not. So the power outage comes. We tried to make an adventure for our family. We got out the flashlights. We lit a candle. We told ghost stories. That didn't help because my daughters are four and two. But they got really into it. And then they didn't sleep for a while, and I don't know why. It was a lot of fun, but then the power finally came back on, uh, like, like in the middle of the night as we, were, uh, as we were sleeping, and we woke up the next night, and there were like random lamps on that we had left on before, you know what I'm saying? But those of you that have a generator, you know that the more powerful the generator, like the more watts, the more you put into it, the more power it produces, right? Like we see this when we do our summer movie nights that, that depending on the power of the generator depends on what it can power. So the big inflatables that we have, that like the jumpy houses, like those require something a little bit more powerful than like the projector to play the movie. The, the higher the wattage, the more power it produces. The higher the input, the higher the output. And like to me, it's like the closer I get to Christ, which is my input, my relationship with God, the stronger the output of his love should be in my life. And if that's not the case, then there's a, there's a missed connection, and the missed connection is me, right? It's not God. It's me. And it's not the other people. It's me. Because if I'm the generator of God's love, and he's trying to pump as much of his love, he loves you so much, and he's trying to pump as much, he just wants you to know that, and he's trying to pump as much of it into your life so that you can produce more and more. Sometimes we produce such a little amount, and we're limiting what God can do in our lives. And it's because we've set a low wattage for ourselves, because the only time we check in with God is for 30 minutes a week. God's saying, if you want to up the wattage, you got to spend time with me. Like the amount of time in your schedule, if that was just a direct reflection of what you loved, would your schedule show that you loved God more or Netflix more? Right? We know that. We laugh because we know it's true. God has something so much better. Increase the spiritual input and the power coming in so that you can generate more love. Let me give you a few practical ways to do that. I'm a big reader. I try to read a book or two a week. Because um, I, I absolutely love to read, and I found that I watched last year a lot of TV at night, and so it's amazing how much, how less busy I was when I turned off Netflix. Isn't that amazing how that works? And so, um, what, a few books I've read that I felt like have been very helpful. Men in the Room. If you want to read a book, 
about how your relationship with God should be affected in your friendships around you. There's a fantastic book I read called uh, Bond of Brothers by Wes Yoder. Bond of Brothers by Wes Yoder. It's a phenomenal book that talks about how the closer we get to God, this is how our friendships should look different. Like, as Christ followers, I absolutely believe that the kind of friendships we have should look drastically different than the rest of the world because God calls us to higher standards. So if the world's standards for friendship is here, God, like Jesus comes in, he always sets it higher for us. Women, a great book by Jenny Catrone called Clout, C-L-O-U-T, is a fantastic book that talks about how our relationship with God affects the way that, that we socialize with other people. It's a phenomenal book for men and women, but it's specifically geared towards women. Those are two great books to read. If you want to turn up the input, like when you're driving to work or when you're driving your kids to school or when you've got like that margin, um, instead of just listening to sports radio or listening to like whatever you normally listen to, what if you found like a Spotify playlist of songs that just kind of got you in gear where for 15 minutes you just checked in with God and all you're doing is you're turning up the, you're turning up the watts so you can produce more. Or you found a podcast that you love on, on Christian parenting, on leadership, on things that allow you to tune into the things of God because I believe the stronger that input, the more that it affects our output. Verse 17, it says this, as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So, we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him. When your life ends and you come before God, we can face him with what? Confidence. Because we live like Jesus here in this world. So, who can be confident? Those who live like Jesus and those who love like Jesus. Those are the only people that when we come before God should be confident of where they're spending eternity, is if they lived and loved like Jesus. He's almost reminding us of that urgency, that one day you will stand before God. And so there's an urgency now to love others, because we don't know when that will be, and we don't know when for the relationships in our lives, their lives will come to that point. So there's that urgency. Like, we should never live on cruise control and say, I'm slowly working on it. I've got the rest of the year. I'll figure it out. It's a really busy season. Like, live with that urgency. Why do you think teams, all of a sudden, who couldn't score a touchdown an entire game, then all of a sudden in the last two or three minutes can? Urgency, right? Like, sometimes it's like Tom Brady's asleep, and then all of a sudden in the last two minutes he comes, and he's just throwing touchdowns to, like, the janitor. Like, we don't even know who these guys are. But he can throw it because there's an urgency. Like, we've got to get the ball moving, right? Like, that urgency actually plays into, and like, we're constantly reminded of that in the Bible, the urgency of living with the love that God has for us. Don't wait on this because we don't know when our story will come to the place that we're standing before God. In the same way, be urgent to develop healthy relationships, to love how Jesus loves you, to be urgent to be a better spouse, a better parent. Like, don't wait do this today. Do this tomorrow. Like, do, work on it this week. If you know that there's a broken relationship, do everything you can to resolve it. Don't push it off any longer because you're just going to waste more energy worrying about it. Live with urgency. Verse 18, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. I'm just going to say that again. Perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. If we're afraid 
It's because we don't fully understand God's grace in our lives. Verse 19, we love each other because why? He loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a what? Liar. For if we don't love people, we can see how can we love God whom we cannot see. The greatest way that you express your love for God is how you love the people around you. Verse 21, and he has given us this command. Those who love God should, if you can, if you got time, if you're not too busy this week. No, it says those who love God must also love their fellow believers. That, that his love should be the motivation for our love towards the people around us. That if we're not loving God the way that he loves us, it's because we don't fully understand how much he loves us. The more love you receive, the more love you want to give away, right? Like in a friendship, the, the, the better a friend is to you, the better you want to be a friend back, Right? With a spouse, with a family member, like the closer that you feel they care about you, the more you naturally want to care back for them. The harder thing is to take the first step. The harder thing is to love, even if you're not sure if it'll be received. And that's what God is saying is, because God's already loving you well, love other people that way. Don't wait for them. Because the rest of the world, that's the standard for the rest of the world. Those who choose to not follow Christ, the cruise control default mode for our relationships is I'll love the people that love me back. But Christ comes in, he says, nope, higher standard. You love people before they even have a chance to love you back. Why? Because God loved you before you had a chance to love him back. This isn't a suggestion, right? This is a command, like it's an expectation. If you want to follow Christ, you need to love people differently than the rest of the world. It's not just something we should do. Like that is what it means to follow Christ. There is no separation of these concepts. I was on a, a plane this past week flying back home, and I got, um, by God's amazing grace, the wing seat. Thank you, Lord. Because on Southwest, if you don't get the wing seat, you have to, like, dislocate your knee and put it, like, in the netting in the seat in front of you. You guys know what I'm saying? It's like you just have surgery after every Southwest flight, basically. But I got the wing seat, so I was good. And on the, like, I looked over, and on the wing seat, like, on the wing had this big caution tape thing, not caution tape like a police scene, that'd be creepy and I would have gotten off that plane. It had like a big sticker that says, warning, do not open the latch, which it's scary that they had to put that on there because that means at some point someone did, right? It says, warning, do not open the latch. Not a suggestion. It's a command to who's ever there. It's not like if I get warm, I'm in mid-flight, I'm like, it's just a suggestion, really. And I open it, and everybody gets sucked out. <laughs> the stewardess comes up. It's like, oops, uh, that was a command, actually. That doesn't happen, right? Because it's assumed when you see that, that's an expectation. If you're flying on the plane, you don't have a choice in that. If we want to follow Christ, we don't have a choice in this matter. This is not a suggestion. This is an expectation that God has for anybody who wants to call themselves a follower of Christ. Is if you want to follow a God who is love, you have to be love. It's that simple. One more passage I want to look at here. I love this passage. Oh my gosh, it's so sweet. It's so significant. What, God, what Jesus is doing in this moment. 
He's restoring a relationship. In John chapter 21, it's the very end of John's gospel, which gospel is just the story of Jesus. There's four of them in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John, who is a close friend of Jesus, he has these very intimate moments shared because he's in the room for most of these. So he has this firsthand account of what Jesus is saying and how he's feeling, and he just feels the emotion in the moment. Sometimes you just feel it come out when you're reading it. First John chapter 21, and here's the context. This is one of Jesus' last moments with these Christ followers, the early Christ followers, the disciples that have been following him since the beginning and have been with him for almost three years now. And they saw him die. And probably for about a day and a half, they were confused and worried and scared because they just thought he was dead. They thought it was over, and they thought that they'd bought into a lie. And then Jesus got up, and he kicked the rock aside, and he just started walking around. And I can't imagine what people were thinking after that, because he walked around for several weeks before he ascended to heaven. And I just imagine that as he's walking through the streets, people are like, I saw that guy die. Is that y'all? That's that guy that died. Right, like that, all those conversations are happening, including the disciples, who even though Jesus said this was going to happen, it's still hard for them to believe. Why? Because they saw him die. And so John even reminds us of that at the very beginning of the story. John 21, verse 12, it says, Jesus says, now come and have some breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Which is John's little reminder that they were a little freaked out. They're like, we knew not to ask him. Like, we, it looks like Jesus, but it's like, didn't he die? Like, they're, they're a little struggling with this. And John's, like, reminding them. It's like, they knew not to ask him, even though they knew what he looked like. But nobody's like, you're, you're Jesus, right? Like, they knew not to ask him because he's like, I said this was going to happen. Verse 13, then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he'd been raised from the dead. That Jesus cares for them. He loves them. He sits around a table with them, even the ones in the room that doubted and denied him while he was dead. He doesn't make them feel guilty for it. He doesn't make you feel guilty if you doubt him. He embraces your questions. He still wants to feed you and care for you. Like to me, that's a sign of maturing faith is, is can I care for somebody who's hurt me? Even if they don't ever ask for forgiveness. Like they never turn to Jesus and say, hey, sorry that we doubted you. He just loves them and feeds them. Like, to me, one of the most significant moments of Jesus' ministry is right here. And, I, like, I see these dinners, and I always think, like, what, what I love about Jesus is he had a guy, Judas, that he knew the moment he met him that that was going to be the guy that turned him in. And he invited him to follow him. He loved him. And he let him have dinner with him for years and he loved him, even though he knew, in the end, this guy was going to betray him. Like, I want to have that kind of love towards the people around me, that even if I know they're saying stuff behind my back, I'm still inviting them. That's what I love about Jesus. So he, he has breakfast with them, and then after breakfast, verse 15, Jesus asks Simon Peter, who's Peter's like the head disciple. He's the oldest one by at least a few years. We know that from a few historical accounts, that Peter was probably relationally the closest with Jesus. And he turns to him. Simon was his birth name. Simon Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. In the Bible, whenever it talks about 
God's sheep. It's talking about his flock, his followers. And so the lambs would be the baby sheep, the young believers. He's saying, Peter, if you love me, care for the young believers. Verse 16, Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. And take care of my sheep. You want to show your love? Care for the people around you. Do you want to prove your love to God? Love the people around you. Help care for the baby Christians around you that may not be as far along in their faith journey as you are. How you care for others is the proof of your faith. And that's what he's trying to tell Peter in this moment. He's like, if you really love me, I'm not going to be with you much longer. If you want to keep showing this love, just, just care for the people around you. He doesn't put disclaimers on it. He says, care for the people around you. I think we all can think of people in our lives that cared for us when we needed it, right? When we needed it before we were maybe able to even return that love back. I know for me, as a young believer, as a teenager, I was 16 years old, and I went on a mission trip similar to the one in Guatemala, and uh, I was brand new to my faith and almost intimidated sometimes by some of the other teenagers in the room because they just were clearly closer to God than I was. And I was brand new, and so like we'd have these Bible studies at night, and all these teenagers had like these really cool thoughts and insights, and like I, I barely knew anything. I was just scraping the surface of my faith. And there was this older, I was, I think, a sophomore. There was an older guy, Josh, who had just graduated from high school, and he just kind of took me in under his wing. Like, he could tell I was intimidated, and he could tell that, like, like I'd, when we'd go out to dinner, uh, like, I'd kind of sit by myself, and since none of the other students knew me, they'd kind of all naturally sit with their friends, and he always sat with me. And, like, whenever he led, like, our little camp Bible studies at our work sites, he always said, well, Stephen, what do you think? And he gave me a chance to speak, and... That gave me the confidence I needed to know that God loved me and I didn't have to be intimidated by the people around me. Like that's the kind of love it's saying is that if you really love God, if you're really faithful, care for the people around you. See, I knew Josh was the real deal because he was the kind of friend Jesus wanted him to be. I, I was a lamb and he cared for me. He helped me feel comfortable when I was new. And then look, Jesus asks Peter, again, for the third time, verse 17, third time he asks him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Like, imagine how weird of a conversation that would be. You've already told Jesus yes twice. Like, I imagine this time Peter's tone is almost a little frustrated, right? Peter's already a hothead. He chopped off a dude's ear when, Jesus, like when, when they were trying to arrest Peter. Like, Jesus, that's who he is. So he's patiently sitting there. He's like, do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? I don't think the third time Peter was very patient. He's like, Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Three times he says that. Now that's significant because after Jesus was arrested and crucified, Peter went off and he denied Jesus three times. He denounced his faith. He denounced him being a follower of Christ, his association with Jesus three times. So Jesus is restoring his love with Peter by having him proclaim his love three times. He's saying, do you love me? Care for the people around you. 
And I think Jesus would ask the same question to you. Do you really love me? Care for your spouse. Be a selfless, humble, tender-hearted spouse. Be slower to anger. Be slower to get defensive. Do you really love me? Care for your family. Even when they're being jerks to you. Even when your kid's kind of being rebellious and you know it. Even when somebody's hiding something from you. Do you really love me? Care for them. Do you really love me? Be a great friend to the people around you. Be an intentional friend. Be the kind of friend that your friends talk about when you're not in the room. Because you're the model friend. Because you're living to the higher standard that Jesus has for you. Love in such a way that you're modeling the kind of love Jesus had for us. Um, a few weeks ago, I was in a parking lot. Uh, I love when like, people just aren't really paying attention to what's around them, and I get to talk about it later in front of all of you. Um, and uh, we were in like a, my wife and I were driving into a gas station, and there was like a curb cut right here to go in the gas station, and there was one kind of like way down at the end. And this lady was pulled in, and she was parked. Her car was running, and it was probably like 50 feet from the gas pump, but I think she thought she was in line for the gas pump. What she didn't realize was the car in front of her, there was not a driver in there. It was literally a parked car, and she was sitting behind it. And we pulled in, and my wife, who's much more observant than me, points over, she's like, I think she doesn't realize that she's not in line right now. And, like, she saw somebody else, like, pull in, and go into the car, and she's getting frustrated at the empty car in front of her, and she actually, like, you can see in, like, a very New England road rage fashion that we love to do, starts to use some words that aren't in the Bible, starts to shout. She starts to honk her horn at this empty car. (laughs) And, like, I just have to look away, because I don't want to see her laughing at me, but I'm obviously laughing at her. And uh, finally, after uh, probably two or three minutes of her honking, she finally, like, kind of peers. And now she still thinks someone's in the car, but she just thinks they're distracted. So she pulls to the side and is, like, ready to yell at them. And then she realizes there's nobody in the car. And she's just embarrassed. And then she just kind of, like, acts, plays it off, like, I knew that was happening. And then she just pulls up to the pump. And, like, gets gas and kind of gets out. And you can't play that off. (laughs) She was angry at somebody that wasn't there. For something that they didn't do. The problem wasn't the other driver. It was her. The problem wasn't what the other driver didn't do or did do. The other driver probably shouldn't have parked in the middle of the parking lot. But that wasn't really the problem, right? The problem wasn't what the other driver did. It was what was in her heart. It was how she responded. And I think there's a lot of us in this room that we have not dealt with the anger or the frustration or the hurt of some of the relationships around us. And the reason for that is because it's their fault. It's what they did. And we're angry at something that they may not have even done. God's not going to hold you responsible for what they did. But he will hold you responsible for how you respond to them. You can only control your response and your reaction. So you can sit behind an empty car all day and get mad. Or you can move on. And I think there's a lot of us that if we're being totally honest, 
We've just got to move past all of the wasted energy that we're putting towards that one broken friendship or a strange relationship or past hurt that we have that's, that's just distracting us and just saying, God, will you take this from me? I don't want it to slow me down anymore. Because I think every one of us has that person or has that group of people that we're allowing to be the empty car in front of us, that they're not even doing anything anymore. But we're honking and we're mad. And God's saying, just drive around. Don't let this hang you up. See, I think a lot of us, when we think of our relationship status with God, it is complicated. And maybe that's why. For some of you, it's because you know that you haven't gone all in on this thing yet. And if you're being totally honest, you know that your faith, you have not allowed to affect the other people in your life. It has no effect on your marriage. It doesn't affect the way that you respond as a friend. Maybe you need to go all in. Maybe you need to go from in a relationship or in an open relationship, a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of that, to fully going all in on Jesus. Finally turning and saying, God, I want to put you first. I'm tired of yelling at the empty car. I want to put you first. Don't let anything stop you any longer. Because until you go all in, until you turn from the sin in your heart and you say, God, forgive me. I want to live for you. I want to put you first. I want to do what you have for me. Instead of concocting this plan for my life. Until you do, you're putting a low ceiling on the potential of every relationship in your life because God has something better. If you want to have a better marriage and you know that and you would openly admit that you're not an A-plus marriage, sign up for re-engage in a few months. We have that coming. In fact, here's a practical way to do that. The communication card you have when you came in, just write down, I want to learn more about re-engage. Re-engage is a, is a course that we'll have here during the week at night. Um, and it's, it's, it's like a, a video teaching, and then it's divided up into smaller groups. There are couples in this room that have gone through it, and it changed their marriage. If that's you, and you know you and your wife want to commit to something like that, sign up for that. If you want to be a better parent, here's a bold one. Ask your kids this week, what can I do to better care for you this week? See how they respond, because it might be different than what you think. And don't get defensive and say, well, that's stupid. You're not a good kid. <laughs> Just listen. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. If you want to be a better friend, ask someone to coffee or to dinner or to lunch. Say, will you hold me accountable? Because I would guess that most adults in this room don't have anybody outside their family that they have asked to hold them accountable in their faith with God. We want to help you with that. In fact, the next teaching series we're doing over the next few weeks is a teaching series called Squad Goals, and we're talking about how to develop deeper, more meaningful friendships according to what the Bible has for us. Who's that person for you that you can get coffee with or dinner and just say, hey, can we commit to getting together once a month like, imagine what your life would look like if faith really did affect every relationship in your life. If your relationship with God actually made you a better spouse, 
and caused you to be a better family member and a better friend. All of that is possible because faith is intended to change the flavor of every relationship in our lives. And it starts in our relationship with God. Let's pray together. God, I'm just thankful that you love us. And I'm thankful that you loved us before we could love you back. And that you love us even when we don't love you back. And even when we get mad and even when we doubt. Just like Peter, even when I deny you, God, you still love us. You still invite us to the table. You take care of us. You give us a second chance. Thank you. God, I pray for anybody in this room, anybody that's here, that knows that they're not fully all in in their relationship with you. God, right now, knock down any barrier that's stopping them, God. God, help them to just turn and say, God, I know I've been disobedient. I know I've been broken. I know I've fallen short. Will you forgive me just like you forgave Peter? God, will you care for me? Will you help me to live by faith and not by fear? I want to start a new life with you. God, as we look at our relationships over the past few weeks, help highlight the ones that we're hanging on to way too much from the past. And we're, we're letting way too much emotion and negative energy go there, God. Help us to drive around the empty car and chase after you, God. You have something so much better. You have this plan for us that you want us to mirror the love that you have given us to the world around us, God. So please don't let us get distracted by the hurt from our past. God, where we need healing, will you heal our hearts? Will you give us the strength to move forward, God? Will you help us to be better spouses and better family members? God, will you help us to be better friends to the people around us? God, will you help us to resolve loneliness in the friends around us? God, you call us to a higher standard, so give us the strength to get there. We thank you for this series. Thank you for how you've challenged us through your word. We pray this in your name. Amen.